welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thank you for joining us this week, your co-hosts, Valine Likely and Catherine Lotspeech. Listeners, as you can tell, this is Valine doing the intro, which is a little different this week. Catherine is not able to be with us this week. Um, and so I'm rolling solo um, as far as hosting, but I do have a wonderful guest um, with us this week. It, her name is Erica Lauder, um, and I will let her introduce herself because um, I won't do it any justice. So Erica, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Eileen. Um, I will be brief with my introduction, but uh, like Valian said, my name is Erica Lauder. I live right now in Jerome, Idaho, but I grew up um, near the Treasure Valley, or in New Plymouth, Idaho, which is near Boise. Um, I graduated from the University of Idaho in 2012 with a degree in animal and veterinary science. Go Vandals. I went on, uh, yeah. In my career, I've done uh, a lot of different things. Um, right out of college, I actually worked with Valine's dad for four years at Northwest Farm Credit Services. Um, I, When I left that position, I took a chance and did uh, went on my own and did some freelance writing, which I still do right now. Um, kind of on the side. And then the biggest thing I guess that this podcast episode is gonna be about is my specially cut flower farm. About four years ago, I really got a niche to, like an itch to wanna like farm myself. We'd, me and my husband had had a little bit of, we'd, we have some cattle and a few things like that, but I wanted something I could do on my own, which is when I um, discovered specially cut flower farming. So where did you, I guess, tell us a little bit about your flower business um, and kind of how, how you decided on that versus maybe vegetables or something else to grow. Yeah. So uh, like when we, so when I left my full-time position, I, my husband and I, we purchased and started farming on a larger like acreage, like traditional agriculture, like is my background. And I, when I left a full-time job, I thought I would start farming and like that he would continue working and I could be like the person that would be doing like the cattle work and the farming. Um, but it was pretty naive at the time. I had a three-year-old daughter and then I had, had, I had a six-month-old daughter. So I had two kids at the time. Um, I just, it just wasn't possible to like change water and things like that with them in tow. And so I stepped back from kind of not all involvement in that, but just that kind of involvement. And so I went through sort of a phase that was like, I was looking for something that I could farm on my own or more or less on my own. And so I went through like kind of those, those ideas, like you talked about like a small market garden, like vegetable farming. Um, I had like, I mean, so even like something as silly as like truffles went through my mind. Like I was looking for something that had like small input or not small input, small acreage, but high output. Um, and I sort of stumbled into flower farming and especially cut flower farming as like a niche that needed to be filled, especially like in our current market. And I can go into big depths about it, but uh, if we wanna know some history, after NAFTA um, happened, the real quick what's that for our listeners that don't know what NAFTA is just give a brief just a synopsis about the yeah. thing so that they yeah. can kind of tie it together okay yeah so North American Free Trade Agreement um really allowed so more interstate com or inter-country commerce between the North American countries specifically with agricultural products 
And so it was really good for some parts of American agriculture and it was really bad for other parts of American agriculture. And when that passed, like the whole industry, it, we were, it was a divided kind of piece of the industry. And so the American grown, American flower growers really hit, it hit them hard because all of a sudden um, flowers could be produced in Mexico and now in Central and South America really, really cheaply and imported without any like, um, I mean, just under, under that agreement. And so it, that pretty much killed the American grown flower industry. And so since I guess then, and really in the last, like I would say 10 years, uh, maybe even five years, there's been a resurgence of, of wanting American grown flowers and specifically flowers that are what we would call specially cut things that are harder to ship. Um, you know, you can get your long stem roses and your Gerber daisies and stuff from South America all day long, but you can't get um, dahlias and ranunculus. The, the quality is just like not there anymore when you try to ship them from overseas. So that's actually really standardized what we see in the floral trade today. And so locally grown or American grown flowers kind of filled, have, have like filled that market as florists and brides and floral designers have looked for a product that's different and new. And so that's where, I guess, this is a long kind of introduction to this, but that's where that kind of like fit in of saying, what does my market need? Um, I guess, as far as like cuts, flower cuts that are new and vibrant. And where I'm located in Southern Idaho, I'm just 90 miles from Sun Valley, which is a huge like market for I mean, destination weddings and things like that. And so a lot of like high quality and maybe even expensive flowers are needed. And there's like a demand for it in the area. And so that's where I guess I, I came into this from that perspective. Um, I get a little bit of feedback sometimes when people ask me like, oh, is that from a love of flowers? And it's like, I've grown to love flowers, but it didn't come from a love of flowers. It like came from a love of like agriculture and a love of like the industry. And then I found something within that that really like fits and it fits like what I was looking to do. And that's so cool. Like the, the niche, it's niche marketing. Like I compare it to, you know, grass fed beef or something like that. You found, you found a market and you, you went after that market. Did you have any experience in flowers or um, greenhouses prior to jumping into this or what was the learning curve like? <laughs> yeah, it's been a huge learning curve and it's still like, I'm still like still learning. Like I said, like I have my background, I have an animal science degree. I worked in finance. Like I don't have like any legitimate professional type experience except for like a love of like growing things. So even like I've always like, since I've been an adult, I have grown like a garden, um, like a veggie garden. And so I've always really, really liked that. Um, but I really did a lot of just like self-training and and I even like when I'm starting seeds I think back on like my my aga days in high school when I was working in the greenhouse and that was like my most like legitimate educational type experience related to I guess crop or horticulture production like on the scale that I'm doing it now yeah so how I guess how many flowers are you growing and what's like the growing season of of the flowers can you do it year round or what What's your yeah. cutoffs? So um, I am, I, I really can actually, honestly, like I should count it up. I don't, I couldn't tell you like the number of varieties I'm growing. Um, 
it's probably more than 25. It's probably more than that even. Um, but I start, I start my season, I guess. So here in Southern Idaho and, and especially specifically where I'm located, I, I'm a little bit cooler than other places. Um, but I, I had flowers starting the first of May. So I can start my season with tulips and, and uh, special daffodils like the first of May. And then I hope to go through like mid-October, um, depending on when our first frost is. And so I can have, and I've pretty steadily had flowers like from the first of May this year. Um, kind of you go through, you go through like specific varieties. So it starts with the tulips, tulips and, and, and uh, daffodils will go off. And then you'll have like your ranunculus crop will come on. And then in June, you'll have like, um, some early crops, like early spring type crops come on, um, some perennial varieties. And then like July, like right now, July, August, and September, I really feel like that's like when you think about like those, the sunflowers, um, the dahlias, things like that that are very much summer crops. Those, those are starting like right now for me. Um, I've been helped out. I have some, uh, they're, hoop houses or high tunnels. They're basically like cold frames. They're like greenhouses, but they're unheated. And I grow in those, which is basically season extenders. Like that's how I can grow. I can have a, a pretty like steady crop. No, so with the tunnel or the hoop houses, so you're growing seasons very similar to the way the flowers would grow in nature. Or like if I were to go plant them in my garden, you're just having a little extra protection from wind or rain, or maybe a little snow that might come from the time of year, I guess. So there are, uh, they do, one thing I struggle with here in a, where I live specifically is the wind. And so I, the flowers are absolutely better off in those hoop houses because there's a protection from the wind, especially um, in the spring. We just have horrific wind um, in the spring. So that is definitely like a benefit of growing in the hoops. Um, but there's also specific crops that just thrive in the hoop house environment. And one of those is a, a ranunculus crop, which is really like my big May crop. Um, they don't like, they don't like the frost, nor do they like too hot of temperatures. And so I can kind of like fit into this window of, of hitting them before it gets super, super hot, but also where it's warmed up enough that I can um, still protect them. And so I planted those really like the, it was like February 1st and then just babied them along in those hoop houses until they started blooming the first part of May or, or mid-May really. And so there is like the benefit of the hoop houses by, by growing crops, I wouldn't really be able to grow outdoors otherwise. So, but again, this is my first season with those. And so I'm really learning how to grow in those appropriately. So before that you were just growing um, the flowers kind of in a, in a garden setting exposed to the environment is that yeah yeah it's um I'll get a I'll get comments a lot from people they'll say things like oh you must have a beautiful yard and it's like not and I and I kind of laugh about it because it's not like wholly true because it's so I grow on like it's like three quarters of an acre which doesn't seem like a lot but it really is like a lot of flowers um and so I grow things in in beds or production rows and so my beds are four feet wide and I have flowers either every like on a six inch grid or a nine inch grid and like an entire like 50 foot bed 
will be filled with like one specific variety. So if that, if this bed is like for rutabecchia, like the whole bed will be rutabecchia. And so it's grown in like a garden setting, but it's kind of on a bigger scale than you might think of like your typical garden. And it's not grown in the way that you might think of like a beautiful landscape yard. Um, because that's just like, there's not, it's not an efficient use of, of space. So that's kind of how I have it set up. Kind of like a row crop operation on three quarters of an acre. Like if you were growing sugar yeah. or corn. Yeah, and, it, and it's very like intensely, I mean, it's very like intensely managed and like closely spaced. Like I have two feet between each row. So it's like, two, it's four foot bed, two feet between each row. And then I'll have like 10, 10 rows in like a specific like field. And I, I kind of have my field broken into like, I have the, the spring field and I have the summer field and then I have like my hoop house section. And so I kind of, I manage my farm in kind of like three different sections. Okay. Oh, that's, I just see all the flowers um, and think of how beautiful it must be. How do you harvest the flowers and how do you get them to market? Okay. Yeah. And so that's, that's funny that you say that too. Cause again, I get that comment a lot too, of like, oh, it must be so pretty. And, and they are like legitimately pretty, but I, I, um, they're not, I guess my, it might not be quite what you would expect. Like if you were to drive up to my place and look at my fields, you might, it might be like, oh, it's not as many flowers as I thought there would be because I don't let the flowers go into full bloom, um, before I harvest them. So one way that like for a specially cut flower farm or just a flower farm in general, especially if you're trying to get them to market, you don't want your flowers to get pollinated because when they're pollinated, it like the, it tells the plant it's like time to die because it's already like done its system. And so you actually wanna harvest them a lot of flowers um, when they're still a little bit in bud, maybe just starting to open, that way the bugs don't get to them. Um, so I always, har I try to harvest so that makes it so I guess what I'm saying is you don't see them from the field in full bloom. Um, so I harvest them in kind of a bud stage and it differs based on the variety. Um, and I harvest in the field straight into buckets. And then um, from the buckets, I put them into my, I have a flower, or I have a cooler, it's a walk-in cooler. And I put them into the cooler and I, I, I condition them overnight in the cooler in water. And then that kind of gives them like a good like they've been like a dosed with water, you know, they've been hydrated. Um, and then I'm ready the next morning or the next afternoon to, um, process them and do whatever I'm going to do with them. And so right now I have a few different markets that I'm going to with the flowers. The biggest one right now, um, maybe it's not the biggest, it's like the one I'm trying to grow the most is my wholesale market. And so that's when I'm selling just directly to florists. And so I'm selling them in growers bunches or 10 stem bunches um, right into the florist hands. And then from there, like those florists and those designers will use them in their arrangements. So I have um, that side of my marketing channel. And then I do a subscription service where I actually have people who have purchased a flower bouquet, basically pre-purchased a flower bouquet for my entire growing season or at least a portion of my growing season. And so in that scenario, um, I'll process the flowers and then I'll design them into just wrap bouquets like grocery store market bouquets like my, you might see you know, at Smith's or your local grocery store. And then um, 
deliver them or we have drop-off locations where people can pick up like their flowers. And so that's the second channel. And the third channel I have is I do two farmers markets um, during the season. One is every Saturday and then one is twice a month on Thursdays. And so again, I'll, I'll design those uh, market bouquets and then prep those for the farmers markets. And so that's kind of like the system I have of like how I'm getting my flowers like out into the world. Um, and then the, I guess I should say I have four. The other thing I'm, I'm working on right now that I never expected I would do, but I'm doing a little bit of design work myself and actually um, doing some florist design work for um, weddings and like special events. And so I have kind of four, four windows I'm sort of working under. And I think in that process, I guess I'm trying to settle in what, what's the one that makes the most sense for me. I, I hope to actually probably drop the farmer's markets at some point. I, I like them because they help make a connection with customers, but they are a lot of prep work and a lot of time spent at the market. Well, and most of the farmer's markets are just a day or two, whereas, you know, other events you can have a consistent stream or continually go, it seems like. Yeah, and farmer's markets are just, they're, I mean, I think it's, I struggle I think I do well with the farmer's markets, but not all the time. Like, it's really just hard for me to plan for farmer's markets. I might like have one week that I sell like 60 bouquets and I do fantastic. I sell every single bouquet I have. And the next week I'm like, okay, so I'll have to plan for it. And maybe I only sell, you know, 30. And so I've brought, I've already brought 50 or 60, but I, so I have all this leftover. And so again, that's a lot of time that I've spent a lot of product that is really not, it's hard to be used at that point. Really, it just needs to go to the compost bin because it's already been processed and handled and used. And so farmer's markets are just hard from like that planning perspective because I can't consistently know like how much I'm going to sell each week, you know? The inventory list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Manage. So you, you said that you'll have to take them to the compost bin after you, you know, can't sell them that day. What I guess is the lifespan. So once you, you know, sell them at the farmer's market, how long can I anticipate if I bought a bouquet of it lasting um, at home? Yeah, so that's a good question. And, and I get, I mean, that's, I, I, I think pretty reasonably I can get seven to 10 days, which is what I shoot for with pretty much all of my flowers. There are some varieties that are gonna last like two months just cause that's like the nature of that flower, but there's others that will be a, a four or five day, but really like, I think that seven day window is a really good window for that. And I, this is where I think that this local flowers, you're going to get a better product than you're going to get from the grocery store, just because like that marketing window is a lot shorter for me. So I might harvest them on Monday or Tuesday, and they're going to be in your market bouquet at the farmer's market on Thursday where if you're going to buy something at the grocery store that may have been harvested upwards of like two weeks ago, put on a boat or in an airplane and it was shipped to the, the warehouse and processed into bouquets, the warehouse before it was shipped to your grocery store. So you might only get a few days out of your grocery store bouquet because it just has a super long prop like window that it had that from when it was harvested to when it came to your table. And so with locally grown flowers, you're shortening that window up which is why I think you can get a longer time period from those flowers. Well, unless just like with any product, the less times you handle it from 
harvest to consumer, sometimes the better. Um, and the, the higher quality of product or the longer it, it'll last you yeah. as well. Yeah. And then when I say that, like I throw like things will go into the compost bin and stuff like that after markets. And, and I do that just because I don't, I guess I don't, A, I'm not going to take something apart. I'm not going to pick apart a market bouquet and then try to then like take those flowers and get them to my florist. Cause I just feel like at that point, product is no longer like all day. And I just don't feel like it's like a good product anymore to like market to people. Uh, if I do have a whole bunch left over, one of the farmer's markets I sell to, there's a, an assisted living home across the way. And so when I have a whole bunch left over, I'll just run over there and I'll drop those bouquets off um, for them to enjoy. I mean, just so it, I, I would rather not have things end up in a compost bin, but if things have been in my cooler for too long, you know, that's where they, that's where they go. Oh, I, I love that. And cheering somebody's day up, um, is always good, especially in those assisted living facilities as well. Um, switching a little bit of gears, I just wanted to briefly kind of touch, you're involved also in the lo local Farm Bureau and other organizations. You're involved in cattle. Um, how do you kind of tie all those together, um, say with Farm Bureau or other leadership roles you have and how are you, I guess, advocating for agriculture right here in your community? Yeah, so I've been pro involvement has it stems back a long ways, long before I ever became a flower farmer, started flower farming. Um, I, I started that actually at my when I was in college at our collegiate farm bureau, um, and I just it just kind of fits into what I I guess what I love. Um, agriculture is sort of where like that is what I do and what I like, and I also. But then like the policy that surrounds agriculture and making sure that we have, that we support our farmers and ranchers with good, strong policy in our state and in our country um, is really like, I want to be part of Farm Bureau and why I continue to be part of Farm Bureau. Great. How, what, I guess, roles are you playing? So what are your roles in the local Farm Bureau? Are you on the board or what, what does that look like here in, in the county? Yeah, so I'm I'm on the Farm Bureau. Uh, I've been on the Farm Bureau board in a couple different positions. So my county here is Jerome County. So I've been on, I've been in the Jerome County Farm Bureau board starting as the young farmer and rancher um, chairperson. And so I was in that position uh, for, I guess it was like five or six years. And in that position, I had like a specific sort of responsibility because within Farm Bureau, there's a young farmer and rancher group. And so I had a responsibility there to, I guess, help, we would help and network as young farmers. And so that's kind of an age group between 18 and 35 of helping us network together and like learn from each other. Um, and so I was in that position for, like I said, five or six years. And then right now I'm currently uh, serve as the secretary. Um, but again, I mean, I do the secretary duties associated with Farm Bureau, but on our board, it's just such that we kind of all like jump in and do things where where help is needed. So in the county, we look at like issues that are impacting the county that's that's in specifically impacting um, ag producers in our county. And we're a big ag county, and so there's always something kind of going on um, that we can kind of be that we that we are part of, whether or not that's like hosting like meet meet your legislator. Um, Meet, meet the candidate sort of forums to help 
educate the county and get our feel of what's happening in our county as far as like the legislature or our candidates that are going to be part of the that are that are looking to be part of the government um or if it's like a company that's recently we've been working on there's a wind turbine company that's looking to come in and build some wind turbines in our county and so again if that's a considering how that's going to impact our county and impact agricultural producers in our county that's kind of a that's a little bit discombobulated but more or less that's what I'm doing no I think it's great and at least it gives our listeners like a pie in the sky view of of Farm Bureau and just kind of how it can affect or how it can benefit um everyone um so kind of to wrap things up, it seems like you are a very busy person. You're involved. Um, you're, you're a business owner. You're a mom. Um, you're also, you know, involved in Farm Bureau and you guys have some cows. How do you balance all those different roles and how do you um, find time for yourself in the midst of that? So, okay, like you said, I, I have... so. I guess I have, I have three kids. Um, my oldest is eight and then my, and then I have a five-year-old and a three-year-old and it's, I guess that's a question that like constantly is in my mind, you know, how do we find like balance? But I had some good advice the other day as I guess it's been a while ago, but it's that we don't ever really find balance, but we do prioritize And so it's like, stop searching for this idea of balance because we never like achieve really balance in our lives, but we do prioritize every day. And and when I say prioritize, I don't mean like the macro type prioritizing, meaning like, of course, my children, my family would come first and like the priority scale above like my business and our cattle and the farm bureau and all that kind of stuff. But I do make like day-to-day decisions about my priorities and like what's most important that day and in that moment. So the other night, um, my eight-year-old had a junior rodeo on Monday night and I'd had our policy development meeting for Farm Bureau that night too. And I'd actually missed the previous month's meeting because I was at another junior rodeo. And so I guess I made the decision that day to prioritize the Farm Bureau meeting above my daughter's junior rodeo. And it wasn't that I was saying that her that she's less important to me. But in that moment, I felt like that's where I needed to prioritize. And so honestly, I don't think I ever will like find balance in my life, but I do try to like prioritize like what's most important at that time. So when I think about, you know, back to go back to your question of like prioritizing like time for myself or balancing time for myself, again, I say when I'm feeling maybe that burnout or I, I need that time, I say, okay, today, I need to prioritize that I take a minute to even just like do something like take a nap or, um, you know, go to a movie with a friend that's not, you know, that's outside of like work and kids and things like that. And so I simply just prioritize that when I need it, when I need that in, I guess, in my life to, to bring some sort of balance or okayness back to my situation, you know, into my life. Yeah, no, I, I love that analogy and it's so good. I heard one time, um, you know, it's like juggling and sometimes you're going to drop balls. You just have to realize at that point, which ones are glass and which ones are not. And so it's making priorities and finding, you know, maybe going to the movies, like you said, was something that you needed to do. And it, 
was a glass ball that, you know, you needed to focus on that day. So I love, I love that analogy. And I can't thank you enough, Erica, for joining me today. Um, where can listeners find you? And if they want to buy flowers from you, where, where will you be located? Okay. So, uh, I'm on, I'm really active on Instagram. I think that's kind of typical in the flower farming world. So my Instagram handle is at cowgirl flowers, Idaho. So they can find, um, Instagram there. And then I'm also on Facebook at cowgirl. I think it's cowgirl flowers or cowgirl flower farm on Facebook. Um, and then if you're in the area, I am almost always Saturday mornings at the Twin Falls Farmers Market. And if you want to get flowers there for my market, or um, you can check out my website, uh, cowgirlflowerfarm.com for um, a link to order um, like some special, like specialty bouquets and things like that. Awesome. And I'll uh, make sure to tag you in our Facebook and Instagram posts this week and tag you in the show notes as well. Um, Listeners, we thank you for tuning into this week's episode. If you have any questions um, related to Flowers Farm Bureau or anything else, you can email us at talk to us at millennialag.com or you can even direct message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And until next week, we are Millennial Ag.